us pray. Father, we uh, come before you, and uh, Lord, I thank you, uh, Lord, for the privilege, Lord, that you have given to us, Lord, to be used of you in any capacity at all, let alone to, to open our mouth and, and represent you and represent the gospel, this good news message, Lord, to speak on behalf of you. What a privilege, Lord, that you have given to us. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that uh, even today and, and next Sunday, Lord, as we um, talk about evangelism, about sharing our faith, about being communicators of the gospel, Lord, that you would be working in our hearts, that you would stir our hearts with a passion to want to share our faith. And Lord, that you would give us those appointments, that you would give us those opportunities, Lord, that in a very practical way, in a very real way, Lord, that we would go over these next couple weeks, Lord, and, and Lord, but everything in between, you'd be given us opportunity, Lord, to put to use, Lord, the things that you've shown us, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I wanted to take this week and I wanted to talk about just building an evangelistic lifestyle. I want you to think in terms of lifestyle evangelism, making that a part of, of um, who you are really as a Christian. I think that's what's important. You know, we have uh, lots of other examples that we look at when we think of people uh, sharing their faith. Uh, we think of crusade evangelism. We think of the Greg Lorries, and we think of the Billy Grahams and the people that share to masses of people. That's a form of, an eva of evangelism. But an evangelistic lifestyle should really be, I think, something that all of us would learn to take on. Take on a, it's a mindset. It's something that we become. It's, 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 it's who we become in, in, in our everyday, really, desiring to be a witness. That's what I would say lifestyle evangelism. It's, it, it, even by definition, I looked up the word lifestyle, and it's defined as being something that's integrated into the way of life of an individual something that just we just become these witnesses for Jesus Christ, but we become these witnesses in, in a number of ways. And um, so it's, an, it's, a, it's what's in our hearts, it's what's in our minds uh, that would compel us to be those witnesses and to be ready uh, to give an answer to everyone. But... Jesus called his disciples. He called them and then he sent them out into the cities. He, he, he first called them and said, follow me. And what did he say to them? I will what? I will make you what? Fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. And what, you know, the first four that he called were fishermen. I will make you fishers of men. You know how to catch fish out of the water, but I want to make you fishers of men. And so the first thing that we know is that our learning to be a witness for Jesus Christ is 
we learn it from him. We learn it from his word. We learn it from the examples. And it is, isn't it appropriate that we're starting out in the book of Acts right now, even chapter two today, you know, of just being those witnesses for Jesus Christ. But there's a, there's a number of ways in which evangelism takes place. And I think all of you here, I believe, are a witness of Jesus Christ. Right now, you're already a witness of Jesus Christ. We just want to be, uh, as Christians, we want to learn to be more effective in our witness. We want to be more bold in our witness. We want to uh, be looking for opportunities more often to be a witness for Jesus Christ. But the various ways in which evangelism happens is one that we might call, as I already said, lifestyle evangelism. Now, lifestyle evangelism, uh, also known by some as social evangelism, it means that you're interacting, you're getting around people, and you're seeking to get involved in a person's life by helping them, by meeting needs, by providing, by encouraging, by bringing comfort to them. We all have those people in our lives, don't we? It's the neighbor that's hurting. It's the person that we run into that, that's in need. And we're, we're looking for opportunities. Well, that's one form of evangelism is that we get out of our comfort zone, so to speak, and we take a step of faith to meet a need in a person's life. Well, that's what we might call lifestyle evangelism. You know, the whole thing about letting our light <clears throat> so shine before men that they see our good works and they glorify our Father which is in heaven. Well, how do they glorify our Father in heaven by looking at our life? They see something different in you. They see this love, this willingness, this patience. They see something that's in you that they desire, that they want. And quite often it's when we're living those lives in front of people, those those Christian lives in front of people. We've been changed by the Lord. We're letting it become part of our life around them that people desire to have what we have. It opens up doors for us when we're willing to step out of our comfort zone and say, why are you helping me? Why did you walk over and why did Landon walk over here and and say, can I help you load these uh, groceries in the back of your car? To the lady that's there, you know, and the lady's going, thank you, young man. Thank you for, you know, doing that. And, you know, and the Lord might even give you the boldness to say, you know what? I, I just, you know, I love the Lord and I just, I love helping people. How does that sound to somebody that you just helped them load groceries in their car and you just left it there? You see where the Lord's going to lead that conversation. But it's looking for opportunities, simple little things as you're around people in everyday life. That's lifestyle evangelism and we all can do that very easily but it does take stepping out of our comfort zone it's like hearing the the leading of the holy spirit to tell you to go over and help that person load this or help this person do this or help them do that that we're in our minds we're thinking this is an opportunity this may even open it does open up opportunities uh, to share your faith and to go further into it. But sometimes we have to do more than just words. It's not like going out on the street corner and preaching the gospel to be, but it's being availing yourself for individuals. There's also uh, what 
a term called servant evangelism, and it's really very similar. It's it's just serving people. It's 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 going up to the convalescent home and going in there because you want to go in there and serve people in there. You want to go in there and minister hope and love to these people. You want to go up there and you know whatever. It's it's finding places that you can serve people and do it with the love of Jesus Christ showing forth out of your life. And people are drawn to that. People are drawn to that kind of uh, Christian that is unashamed of their faith, and they're just willing to go out there and serve, to show God's love. To you're, you're, you're trying to create opportunities, so to speak, to be able to serve people. There's also, we'll call it event evangelism. You know, it's, it's those putting on those events at a church putting on a VBS, putting on a 4th of July event, putting on, you know, uh, we could call out in the parking lot, our bread of life, prayer out in the parking lot. It's, it's creating events <clears throat> where we get people that come around us and we want to be, I remember we did the 4th of July some years back event here at the church, and one of the things we did is set up a booth there, and the people could come up and walk up to this uh, table and they could answer 10 Bible questions and if they answered those Bible questions correctly we'd give them a cold drink we'd give them a soda or give them a bottle of water whatever and it opened up the opportunity for those that were sitting at the table throughout the day we changed that up that they would then have an open dialogue with the people sharing their faith with them so there's event evangelism there's also door-to-door evangelism I did that for years where I would go. I would say that some people shrink back from doing door-to-door. When we think of people door-to-door, we think of Jehovah's Witnesses. We think of Mormons. We think of people going on. Sometimes when we walk up to the door and there's not a whole lot of born-again Christians that I've ever had knocking on my door. I've had more Jehovah's Witnesses than Mormons, but not a lot of born-again Christians doing that. Um, I can just tell you that the day and age, especially coming through COVID, for a while there, you know, people get a little weird, people coming up to their door and this and that. But I can tell you this, if all of us right now walked out of here and we just started knocking on some doors to initiate a conversation, I'm going to tell you in one time going out, there would be uh, all of us, we would have opportunity to be able to share something about the love of Christ. Don't be intimidated by people. The fear of man brings a snare those who put their trust in the Lord shall be safe. We know that God has called us to go out and to be bold for him and never to think that when you go out and share your faith with this this world that sometimes doesn't want to hear, know this, there are always people that do want to hear. There are people that are ready to hear the gospel. There are people that God has even prepared their hearts to hear from you. And so live your life expecting that God wants to use the church. He wants to use your life to go out and to be uh, a witness for him. That can happen going door to door, though again, though, uh, or it may not be that way. It may not be, that may not be the, the calling that you feel upon your life to go out and do that. Um, but it is a form of evangelism. There's street evangelism, just going out and going one-on-one with people. And 
I've done my share of that through the years of just going out and initiating a conversation. We're talking about something that's different. Those of you that are going on this missions trip to Honduras, I want you to be preparing your mind that when you, even before you go on this trip, I'm talking about starting today, and I think some of you are already in that place, but preparing your minds that you want to be a witness from the day you leave this church to the airport, to the time you arrive in Honduras, to the time you get back on that plane to come back and the time you arrive here, that we're going on this mission trip and God has open opportunities for me wherever that might be. Don't just be thinking we're going to wait until we get to Honduras. It begins now. And I would even encourage you all, I would say the, the Honduras team, and not just them but anyone, Go out on a Saturday. Come up here on a Saturday with, with Darren and James and hang out here on a Saturday and look for an opportunity for the Lord to use you. It, it, it's going to require of you to say no to your flesh that says, I can't do it today, this and that, and just say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go out and I want to stand there and I want to look and see what opportunity the Lord might open up. Just be bold in that. And then lastly, there's... Uh, track evangelism. I just recently was at Costco and somebody had one sitting there on the where you get the handhelds off. Somebody put a track leaning right up on the and I praise the Lord. You know what I mean? Yeah, just leaving them somewhere. Some people hand them to people and just have them on their person and you know you have a gospel of John with you. You have them in your dash of your car. You, you have some car, you know, uh, whatever it is. But you're just preparing yourself for a divine appointment, an opportunity. So with that said, all of these forms of evangelism, they all have their limitations. They all have, you know, you know just handing out tracts, that's one way and it can be effective. I, I would have to say in eternity, we're gonna find out how many of you were ever saved from just a track? And I'm going to have to say there's probably going to be a lot of people that are going to be in heaven and go, you know what, somebody handed me this track. And I read it, and I never saw the person that did it, or maybe they just picked it up at Costco and read it, and it spoke into my heart, and I received the Lord. I, I believe that that's probably going to be the case. And so God can use any of them, but they do have their limitations. So we uh, let's look at our Bibles. Acts chapter 2. Wow, it seems like we've been in that book. <laughs> a couple things that uh, uh, I want to bring out. There's, there's actually three portions of Scripture out of the book of Acts that I want to kind of zero in on and very quickly zero in on these three particular occasions that I see in Acts that give us, uh, I think, a, a good picture of evangelism. We know that Peter, on that day that he stood up in chapter 2, verse 14, it says that Peter standing up with the 11. So picture that. There's 12 of you here or whatever. Uh, one of you, who's Peter here? Which one's Peter? Is it Kyle? <laughs> so we have, we have Peter standing up with the 11. And then notice what it says. He raised his voice. 
And he said to them, this is a different Peter, isn't it? What is it that transforms a meek person that has a real struggle with even opening their mouth or saying anything? I'm not a public speaker. I can't get in front of people. What is it that really ignites them? That they Here's Peter now, not saying, I don't even know the man, Jesus, around the fire, to where he's standing up after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, day of Pentecost, and Peter, now full of the Holy Spirit, stands up, and it says that he raised his voice. And he said, now, when I read that, when I'm just trying to picture what that looks like in my mind, I see this multitude of people that are there in Jerusalem for the feast, I see Peter now empowered, emboldened with God's Holy Spirit. I see him not meet Peter, not shrinking back Peter. I see Peter now standing up and lifting up his voice under the power of the Holy Spirit. That same spirit that dwells in Peter and on that day is the same spirit that you and I have at our disposal we just need to say, Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? I need the power of your Holy Spirit to be a, a witness uh, for Jesus Christ. And I believe that God gives us that power. He gives us that boldness. He gives us those words to speak. And if you were to read this whole message through, and we'll leave that for Kyle for next week. But if you were, he, Kyle's getting nervous. He's thinking, I'm going to teach Acts 2. I'm not. <laughs> But I want to make a point out of Acts 2 that when Peter stood up and he began to preach uh, uh, Jesus Christ to these Jews that were gathered there, we know that 3,000 people, and maybe more than that, if they uh, did not count in here the women and children, but if we know that 3,000, for sure, 3,000 people that one day We'll call this crusade evangelism. We know that 3,000 people accepted Christ. Why do we know for sure that it was 3,000? Because the word of God says so. You're not sitting there wondering, I wonder if those were all real. I wonder if those were all real conversions. No, there was 3,000 people that received Christ, and there was 3,000 people, at least, that got water baptized. Followed her that same day. They're all there water baptizing these 3,000 that got saved. That's what we might call crusade. But how many of you really can relate to that? Any of you ever just stood up in front of a whole group of people and just began preaching the gospel to them, just telling them the whole gospel message to a whole multitude? Could you picture yourself standing there at the, on the podium, you know, uh, where Greg Laurie is preaching to a whole harvest crusade and then just preaching the gospel to this you know thousands of people that are sitting out in the stadium most of us are sitting here and that's probably not me I'm probably not going to do that but God gives that gifting how many of you have the gift of an evangelist raise your hand the gift of an evangelist you know that it's a gift in the bible the gift of an evangelist is in the bible but do you know how many people are in Scripture that are called an evangelist? Really, just one. Philip. Philip the evangelist. 
He's the only one that's, that's actually now, we're told in the book of Ephesians, that God has given that gift of evangelism, uh, of evangelist to the church. Even within the church, some people can have. It would be important for me to know and important for Kyle to know. Who are those in the church that have the gift of evangelism? I'm going to say that I believe that Darren has it. If I were just to, to take a, uh, from people I know, I would say, I believe that Darren has it. He might not say that, but it's important for you to know also if you have that gift. If you have that gift, then you better be using it. I believe that I have the gift of evangelist, okay? And, and, but my gift of evangelism has never been, though I've taught in church and, and taught in that, I've never taught it to preach the gospel in a crusade like Greg Laurie or done that. I've been out street witnessing, had a whole group of people get around me, and I've preached the gospel to them many times in, in uh, my Christian walk. But I believe that I have, but the gift of an evangelist is not even just somebody that can clearly communicate the gospel, but it's also somebody that stirs up the body of Christ to do evangelism, to go out and to share their faith. And that's why I believe that the Lord in Ephesians gave that gifting even to the church, as well as the apostles and uh, prophets and, and pastor teachers. But we also have another type of evangelism which we'll call conversational evangelism we'll call it relational evangelism you know it's kind of like jesus with the woman at samaria you know is sit at the well there where he walked up and in that and initiated that conversation with the woman at the well and can you see yourself more that's probably more who you are you know, just in everyday life, it's at work, it's at Trader Joe's, it's at, you know, it's wherever, it's with the neighbor, it's, it's with somebody, and, and, and all of a sudden, you just know inside the Lord is telling you to say something. He wants me to say something. It could be just a word. It could be a word of encouragement that will later lead to another open door of opportunity to, to share your faith with him. It doesn't always mean that, oh, stop now and take 20 minutes of Trader Joe time to share the gospel though they might allow it. I don't know if they do or not. But, it, but again, it's looking for those opportunities. And we'll talk more about, I call them Holy Spirit one-liners. You know what a Holy Spirit one-liner is? It's Jesus sitting at the well with this woman and talking to her about this water, this living water. It's, it's Jesus telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Wheels are turning, and Nicodemus said, what do you mean, born again? What do you mean, water? You know, you'll, you'll thirst again from that one, but this is living water. The person that partakes of this water will never thirst again. You see, the Holy Spirit, the Lord can give you a Holy Spirit one-liner, is what I call them, in the moment. You're just talking there. Somebody says something. All of a sudden, the Lord puts something on your heart, and you say something, and all of a sudden, you find yourself in a conversation and sharing your faith. So I believe that's how the Lord works. And, and how many times have you ever shared your faith with somebody, and, and the Lord brought a verse to your memory, your memory in the moment that you haven't even quoted for a long time? And all of a sudden, in the dialogue with the person you're talking to, he brings this verse that you knew years ago. You hadn't even quoted it in a while. And he brings it to your memory. And Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to say. 
Don't worry. Don't don't uh, cause yourself to to sit and worry about the things that you're going to say. He says, "I'll give you the words to speak in the moment that you need them." That's what we need to trust. God will give you the words to speak in the moment that you need them. So we go from uh, chapter two to chapter three. We go from we'll call it crusade evangelism. We'll go, we go from Peter standing up in front of a multitude of people to now Peter and John going to temple. Chapter 3 starts with Peter and John going to the temple about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They're just every day. This is everyday life. This is you and I. This is everyday life. We're not the Peter standing up to the multitude, as we've all kind of all said. That's probably not me. Probably not going to be that opportunity. Then we go to chapter 3, and now it's Peter and John, everyday life, going like they normally do to temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, as every Jew did for prayer, the hour of prayer. And they arrive at the temple uh, gateway to go into the temple. And here's this man that was lame from his mother's womb that had to be carried and laid there daily at the gate called Beautiful. It's laid there at the gate every day. You see those people around town here, don't you? We see those situations around. Just everyday life. This was everyday life. I want you to think in those terms as a Christian. Everyday life. Lifestyle evangelism. Having that mindset as we go about our day. Here's Peter and John on their way to the temple. I don't think they, they were thinking, hey, I think when we get to that temple today, we're going to see that lame man. What do you think about talking to him today? I don't think that they even having that dialogue. I think that they made their way to the temple three o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, we see that the lame man that was laying at the gate, whom they had probably seen many times, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, verse three, asked for alms. How many times has that happened to you, to me? Asked for alms and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. This is, this is a divine time. This is the time where the Holy Spirit prompts your heart to do something, to load that car with God, to, to say something to so-and-so here. This is the time that the Holy Spirit prompts you in the moment to do something. Peter and John walked by that man many times. And now on this day, the Holy Spirit prompts Peter and John. They're, they're walking, and it says, and they're fixed their eyes on him. And Peter says, look at us. Now, I want you to just grab hold of the faith that's involved here. The faith that is involved in the moment. For you to say to that person, you know, that person's, look at us, look at me. You see that they're lame, you see they're in need, you see that they're hurting, look at me. And he gave them attendance expecting to receive. He thought they were going to hand them money hand him something. That's what he was asking for alms, asking for a handout. Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Wow. 
bold, faith, stepping out, gift of faith being, ha- uh, being exercised right here, gift of miracles being exercised right here, gift of healing, gift of miracles, a miracle for a lame man who born that way to rise to his feet and walk, gift of faith, that supernatural faith, not the everyday faith that you got saved with, supernatural faith, great faith in the moment, to believe that you're going to tell that man to stand to his feet. Wow. That's what I want. In the moment, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, he tells him to stand to his feet, and he does. I want you to think in terms of Here's Peter now going from this multitude of people in chapter 2 to a single man in chapter 3. To one man. I want you to think in terms of yourself as a Christian. I want you to think in terms of that if you had one opportunity to lead one person to Christ in your whole entire Christian walk, that that would be worth it. If you were to take the hand of somebody and and be able to walk with that person into eternity, knowing that God used you to lead that person to Christ, wouldn't that be awesome? How about if it was 10 people in your life that you've led to the Lord? God used you to lead them to the Lord. How about if it was 20 people, you know, through the whole course of your Christian walk? The sad part is, is that there's a lot of Christians that haven't led one person to the Lord in their whole Christian walk. I was 19 years old, 20 years old, before I ever led that first person, that myself, personally, to the Lord. 20 years old. I was raised in a Christian home. I didn't walk a lot of my, even my high school years, really following the Lord wholeheartedly. I wasn't even a good testimony and a good witness. But at about age 19, the Lord got my attention, and I began to walk with the Lord. And then at age 20, the Lord gives me this opportunity to lead this man to the Lord. It had a dramatic effect upon my Christian walk. I saw how God used me over the course of a year of sharing the gospel with this man to the point where I prayed with him to receive the Lord. It was, it, it, it was, a, uh, it was something that God did in my personal walk that from that point on, I sought to share my faith all the time for years I mean I'm 66 now so you put the numbers together but I mean I've been open and wanting to share my faith for all those years and I took people out with street witnessing took them out door to door took them out went on missions trips sharing my faith opening up dialogue seeking to share my faith with people and and I can I, I still remember that day as vivid in my mind that the Lord gave me this opportunity. I don't have time to share you the story. I shared it actually with our men on Tuesday night, but God used it, and God will use that in your life. When you go on this mission trip, you're going to be saying, Lord, why am I here? Who am I coming here for? Give me that person. You know who it is. It might happen in the airport, and you think, man, I, I, I can't really see that much happened over there in Honduras, but, man, it was in the airport, and the Lord put me in this position. Here I was sharing my faith with this individual as I sat down next to them as we were waiting to load on the plane. Or I was sitting in the plane, and this person was sitting next to me, and I shared my faith with them. And I really believe that's why the Lord brought me here, 
He uh, brought me on this missions trip. We didn't even get to Honduras. All I did there was just, you know, these other things. But if I were to count, look at the whole trip, I'd say it really happened in the airport or it happened in the airport coming home. So I want you to take the mindset that when you leave this place on this missions trip, or for all of us that are not going on the missions trip, just to think about everyday life as a Christian, to take on this, this uh, mindset of wanting to be a witness for Christ. I can tell you that what will compel you to want to share your faith with people, it all has to do with where your relationship is with Jesus Christ. If you're in the overflow mode, if you're in overflow, you know what I mean by overflow? We talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're in overflow mode in your Christian heart, you think, well, I don't know if I am in overflow mode. Overflow mode means that, you know what, I can't help but want to open my mouth for the Lord. I can't help but want to do something for the Lord. You know, I, that's overflow. When overflow is in you where you can't help, you're being compelled by your love for the Lord. You're being compelled to want to go out and do something for the Lord, to be used of the Lord, to open your mouth for the Lord. When you're compelled out of your love for him, that'll take you a long way. How about if I just told you, hey, Christians are, you know, we're called to be obedient, to go out and share the gospel. And you know that it's a command to go into all the world and make disciples, baptize them. You know, it's a command in the Bible. Don't you know that you should be doing that as Christians? Yeah, okay, yeah, it does say that. But how about if I told you, but if the love of God is compelling you in your relationship to want to go out and share your faith, that's what you want. You want overflow in your life. You don't want to, it's not just uh, obedience. How many things are we called to be obedient to, to do, and we don't always do it? We're called to pray continually, too, and we don't have the church all out just praying on hands and knees. We're called to evangelize. Those are the, probably the two biggest areas that the church struggles in, is in prayer and witnessing. You know, it, it really, the whole church should be out here sitting here going, hey, if you're already going out witnessing, man, you don't need to be here. But if you're not really ever sharing your faith, never led anyone to the Lord, God help me that I will be walking into your kingdom someday knowing that I've got somebody that I have led to the Lord. So look at um, a couple things. Still looking at chapter 3. I want to talk about, you know, busy schedules that we have, things that will distract us, things that will keep us, work, school, family, responsibilities in life that will keep us from being a witness for Christ. It'll, it will be so consumed, but this is the mindset that I would like us all to take on. If you're at work, you're at school, doesn't matter where you are, that's where your mission field is. It's not just an unorganized thing. Hey, meet me down at the church and we're going to do this at this time uh, to be a witness for Christ. It's everyday life. That's lifestyle evangelism. That's every day going about your business, but getting up in the morning and saying, Lord, would you open a door for me to be used to be today? And just be conscious of that and then be looking for it. And uh, be careful that the enemy doesn't keep you so busy with life that you have no vision no you know you don't see people you ever drive down the street and just see people and just really wonder why are they at 
I do quite often. I, I drive down and I'll see all these students walking away from us. students is just wandering around. the ones that you know you, you look like they're all running off to a party you know what I mean do they know you do they do they even know you Darren and myself walked through that whole neighborhood we probably handed out 500 flyers on time we had some dialogues but mainly just handing out you know and just walking through that neighborhood do they even know you do they even know you at all God would you give me that compassion that you have as he told his disciples to look up, the fields are white unto harvest with the woman at the well. You know, just look up. Just keep those words in. Just look up. Problem is we're always looking down, Christian. We're looking down. Look up. Look at the people that are out there, the people that are just around us. Look up. Look at uh, Acts chapter um, 8. This is probably one of my favorite uh, stories in the Bible, book of Acts really in the Bible really concerning the sharing of our faith and the reason why it's one of my favorites is because I think I can relate to it the best I think I can relate to the practical aspects of it look at uh, you know what uh, Acts chapter 8 is the um, uh, the Philip with the eunuch you know the story Philip uh, look at verse 26 says that the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza this is desert so I want you to get this picture in your mind here's Philip out in this desert area with this dirt road uh, that he sees and an angel of the Lord spoke to him now what's interesting is that Philip just preached to multitudes, a lot of people in Samaria prior to this. If you look at the, the chapter uh, before verse 26, Philip was there in Samaria preaching to a number of people. And then he again, like Peter in Acts chapter 2, goes from preaching to a multitude to one man in chapter 3. We have Philip preaching to more than one person to coming to verse 26 where he's preaching to one man, one unit. And that always, in my mind, that just really brings it down to me that God cares about one individual. He cares about one individual person to do all this. To, it's even in the Bible. It's even in the Bible that he would do all this and let us see here that I care about that lame man laying at the gate. I care about this man that is on this chariot going down this desert road, this eunuch. I care about him. I care about just these one individual people. Isn't that amazing? To think that the God in this whole gospel, sometimes we just think, God, does he care about just this one individual that wanders up into the parking lot on a Saturday? Does he care about that one person? He does. Philip, we're told, look what it says. The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south. So have you ever had the Lord speak to you in that way? What we're going to learn as we go through the book of Acts on Sunday morning is we're going to look that not only do we need to be empowered with the Holy Spirit, 
but we need to be led of the Holy Spirit. To have, to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speak something into your heart. I've had it happen many, many times. And the only reason I've had it happen many, many times is because I've been saying, Lord, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your leading. And when you have that mindset that, Lord, I want to hear your leading, I want to hear what you want me to do. I'm going to walk out here and there's going to be hundreds of people around. But who do you want me to speak to? What individual do you want me? I can't speak to all thousand of them out here. I'm not going to speak to all of them. But God, who do you want me to speak to? And God, would you bring that about? You can get up in the morning and you say, Lord, I don't know what today holds. I don't know what I've got going on today. I don't know what path I'm going to cross. But there is somebody out there that you would want me to speak to, that you would want me to to do an act of kindness to see if that would even lead into an opportunity. And it's all about obedience, isn't it? Look what look what it says when the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. I have no clue how that looked either. That I kind of tried to wrap my mind around. The angel of the Lord spoke to him. Did he hear something audible out of out of the heavens? Philip I want you to rise and go towards the south along the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is down. Doesn't that sound real specific? Doesn't that sound like you would just be sitting here talking to somebody and they're giving you specifics of what I want you to do? But I don't know that that's how it came to him. It just says the angel Lord spoke to Philip. I don't know if if he just sensed it in his spirit, and I can tell you that I have sensed that in my spirit many, many times when I've been out witnessing. Sensing in my spirit means this. I'm sitting over on a I'm sitting over on a wall. I'm sitting over here and I'm out here with the purpose of wanting to share my faith. And I'm I'm praying. I'm just saying, Lord, would you bring that person, give me an opportunity to be able to share with that person. Whoever whoever that is, Lord. And I might sit there for 15 I might sit there for a half hour. Sometimes we think when we go out winning, uh, give me the tracks, where do I go, what do I do? But just sit there and say, Lord, would you direct me? Would you lead me? Would you show me who that is? And there have been many times where the Lord has put upon my heart somebody, an individual, as I'm sitting there praying, and then all of a sudden I said, that's it. And I get up and I go. Many times. I remember at an apartment complex one time where I was... uh, walking with another brother where it had been out door-to-door witnessing in this apartment complex. We were going back to the church, walking down through the apartment complex, walking uh, through the driveway part of it. I walked down this one aisle. I looked down. I saw this man that was sitting there uh, repairing uh, uh, the tube on his uh, bicycle tire sitting on his front porch of his apartment. I remember walking. I walked from here. The glass passed where I saw him. We were already going back to church. We'd already been out for an hour or longer out witnessing. And I told the guy that I was with, I said, I think the Lord just spoke to me that we need to go back to this guy. Okay, let's go. Let's turn around, go back, walk up to him, initiated a conversation with him. And it turned out I ended up, the wife came to the door and saw that we were standing there talking to her husband. She knew what we were doing. She goes, why don't you all just come in? She invites us to come in. Her husband gets up off the porch, comes in, and then we're sitting there, and I'm sharing the gospel of all four of them. 
And I, you know, and it, and it led to them even coming to our church. It led to me praying for them, this husband and wife. It ended up them coming to our church. And I, you know, to me, it's hearing God's voice and then in, in faith and in boldness, taking that step and getting up and moving upon what the Lord impresses upon you. The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. I want you to think that God wants to do that to you and I. The angel of the Lord spoke to Cheryl or to, uh, to Cheryl or spoke to Darren or, or spoke to Phil. The angel of the Lord spoke to him or to her, arise and go speak to that person. Go do this for that person. Just hearing his voice. And then he arose, what's it say in verse 27? He arose and he went. How many times has the Lord told you to share your faith and then you shrink, you shrunk back? Has that ever happened? It's happened to me. You knew when it was done, when you walked away, you go, I think the Lord wanted me to say something. I didn't. How many times has that happened where we felt like he was compelling us to do something, we didn't do it? it notice that he arose and he went. As soon as the angel of the Lord said to him what to do and, and where to go, he arose and he went. That's obedience. And that's really required in evangelism, isn't it? We're all called to go what? Go into all the world and to preach the gospel, right? Make disciples. That's a command for every Christian. Do we all do it? We don't always, not everybody as a Christian heeds that command. But he arose and he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch, great authority, Candace, uh, uh, the queen of the Ethiopians who had charge over all of her treasure, had come to Jerusalem to worship. She uh, was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. I love this. These are those appointments by God that only God can do. First off, he was instructed to go join himself. But then it says in verse 29, look what it says. Then the spirit, here's the second time, the spirit, and it tells us here, the spirit, the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. Wow, that's real specific, isn't it? Can God speak into your heart something that specific? Let me ask you this. Can God be that specific with you? That you could actually kind of get some instructions in your heart that this is what you're to do. I believe he does, and I think you've all experienced it, to be honest with you. But I think it's very specific. The Spirit said to him, go near and overtake the chariot. Then what does it say in verse 30? First three words. So Philip ran. Oh, God. This one gets me. Not only did he was he obedient to the first command to go to the desert road, then he was obedient to go join himself to the chariot. And when he gets to the chariot, he's running alongside the chariot. The chariot is probably a camel with a basket thing up on top, and the guy's sitting up there with his scroll, and he's reading the, from uh, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. He's sitting up there reading from the prophet Isaiah, coming back from Jerusalem, going home. He's on his way home. Philip runs and hears him. Get this picture. He's like this. The camel's going along. He's hearing him reading as he's running alongside the chariot, reading from the book of Isaiah. 
Do you think that, do you think that, that not only was his heart pumping from running, but do you think that his heart was pumping because he knew that God had something for him? Have you ever had your heart pumping like going, the, the, the Lord wants me to open my mouth. The Lord wants me to do something. The Lord just told me to do this. Philip runs to him, hears him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? This is one of those Holy Spirit one-liners. A Holy Spirit one-liner. Do you understand what you're reading? He yells that up. That came from the Lord, I believe. The Holy Spirit. Do you understand what you're reading? Why did he say that? Well, look what it, look what it says. Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Oh, Holy Spirit one-liner. Open door of opportunity. If somebody walked up to you on the street and said, um, would you tell me about Jesus Christ? I know you're one of the, I've met you, you're a Christian, aren't you? Would you, would you tell me about Jesus Christ? Because right now, man, I, I think if I died right now, I don't know where I'd go. Could you tell me right now about Jesus Christ? Would you tell them no? I mean, look at, the op- look at the opportunity before Philip here. How can I accept somebody guide me? Oh, God, that's an open door like we'd all be looking for. We'd all want. We'd all want that kind. We- that's an easy one, isn't it? That's like somebody walking up to you. Tell me how to get saved. That's what's, that's what's happening here. How can I accept somebody guide me and he asked Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. I can see him crawling up the side of this thing to go sit down with him. And he's got this scroll that's opened up on his lap, reading from Isaiah 53, and he's reading verse 7 and 8. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, whom does the prophet say this? Does he say it of himself? Is is Isaiah saying these words of himself or of some other man? And Philip opened his mouth. Do you see that? Does that take boldness? Philip opened his mouth. Not only did Philip in boldness and being led of the Holy Spirit open his mouth, but it says that he began in verse 35 at that scripture to do what? To preach to him Jesus. So if you were out rolling down polo here and somebody was reading Isaiah 53 and they came up to you and asked you the same question, Would you read those verses, Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8, and then be able to expound to them Jesus, your faith in the gospel? Would you be able to tell them about, share the gospel with them? Remember, when this is happening, this is is all brand new. This is all to the early, early church just began. He begins to preach Jesus to him. We need to have some knowledge of the word of God, don't we? If I asked you, how 
much knowledge do you have to, tell, to lead somebody to Christ? How much knowledge of the Bible do you need to have? You know what, the, you know what the, the two greatest fears are for the church when it comes to evangelism? The two greatest fears are that I'm fearful of man, I'm fearful of rejection, I'm fearful what people will say, and I'm fearful that I don't know what to say. Or I'm fearful that I won't know where the scripture is that I want to share with them. Or I'm fearful that I'll mess up when I'm quoting the scripture. Or I'm fear, you know, fear. And as I already shared, the fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap. We need to trust that the Lord will give you the words in the moment that you need them. I believe that he gave Philip the words to speak to the eunuch in the moment. He just, in obedience, he began to preach Jesus to him. And as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said this, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus, is the Christ, uh, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him uh, there. Look at that. I mean... That, when I read that story, and I've been in situations so many times where I've seen the Holy Spirit lead, and I've seen the Holy Spirit lead to the point where I led a person to the Lord, and then I had opportunity to be able to, to see them through and getting water baptized. Here's this man coming from Jerusalem, seeing these 3,000 people that got water baptized. They got saved immediately. They're baptizing them, all of them. They're just they're, they're taking them down into these pools and baptizing them right there in, in Jerusalem. And this eunuch is thinking in his mind, what hinders me from being baptized? Can I? Yeah, well, it, the only condition was if you believe with all your heart, you may. It's the only condition. You've got to believe. And he says, I believe. And so Philip takes him down into the water and that, even that's divine appointment, isn't it? I mean, oh, look. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's some water coming out. What hinders me? I mean, you know, I don't know if that's how it looked, but here they are going down in water bay. Would you have everything right there? The baptismal was right there. He had the Isaiah, the prophet scroll opened up on his lap. That's right there. Word of God. Had the Holy Spirit leading Philip. You got a hungry heart sitting up in the chariot wanting to know truth. And God says, this man wants to know truth and I'm going to send Philip. I'm going to send, you know, Blake. I'm going to send you to, to go. I'm going to send you to go. And we respond. One last uh, one that I want to give you, Acts chapter 16. Kyle's thinking, man, you're taking all the Acts up right now. It's the only place I can go when I talk about evangelism. <laughs> I gotta go to Book of Acts here, Acts chapter sixteen. Remember when Paul had that Macedonian call? Paul on his second uh, missionary journey that started in chapter fifteen. He. Uh, we're told that um, he had this call from the Lord to go to Macedonia. And 
Paul and Silas, they arrived in this, in this city. And it says in verse 6, it says, Now when they had gone through Persia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now this is an interesting wording, the way there. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit right now, being led of the Holy Spirit. Well, they were being led not to go to this place. Have you ever had that before? Have you ever had the Holy Spirit forbid you to do this or to do that? We, well, a lot of times we're thinking, well, he tells me to do something and I do it. How about if he forbids you to do it? I've had that happen to me too. Or I thought I was going to go to this part of the world for as a missionary and God closed the door. I call them divine closures. God closes doors, God opens doors. Why? Because he wants you to be right exactly where he wants you to be. And in this particular case, I want you to go to Macedonia. So it says, and after they had come to Mysia, verse 7, and they tried to go to Bithynia. Here it is. It's just being led, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul at night. And a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, come over and to Macedonia and help us. There's, the, there's that calling. And now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding, listen to this, look at verse 10, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Concluding. He didn't even know how, what, what it was going to be like, what it was, what was going to When you go to Honduras, do you have any clue what's going to happen from day to day, moment to moment? Don't, you don't know. But we're concluding that you put it on my heart, you prepared the way, you supplied the means, and here we are going to Honduras. Concluding that the Lord is calling us to Honduras to go do a work for him and to be a witness for him there. That's what, really what they were doing. They had a closed, divine closed door, they, but now they have an open door after that, uh, after that vision that appeared to Paul at night. And now they concluded that the Lord was calling. Now look what happens, verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace, and the next day to ne 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 Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a foremost city of the part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in the city for some days. So they arrive in this city. It's brand new to them, never been here before. Didn't know what, uh, what the Lord wanted to do, but we concluded that the Lord was calling us uh, to this area. And here we are now in this city. And it's on the Sabbath day uh, that we went. And it's probably, uh, they went out, to the, uh, out of the city to the riverside. Now it's probable that they didn't go to the synagogue uh, because there was no synagogue in this city, and so they heard that there are people that go out to the riverside to pray. So they went out to, of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and we spoke to the woman, to the women who met there. So here's these women that are out at this riverside praying. They're out there to pray. And again, this is the Lord bringing, bringing Paul and bringing Silas here to this riverside for one woman. 
that crazy? How did the Lord touch your life? How did he bring an individual into your life that talked to you because he loves you? And, and here there's these women that are meeting there for prayer, but then there was a certain woman named Lydia. Uh, she heard us, and she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. But then look what it says in verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Don't you love that? Evangelism, when it comes to sharing your faith, it's all a work of God. God's doing it all. All you are is a vessel that he wants to work through, speak through. That's all. You don't have to do it. You're not saving anyone. You're not doing any. You know, he does that. That's what he does. You don't have to concern yourself of whether or not they're going to receive the Lord, reject the Lord. You don't have to concern yourself with that at all. You just simply need to be obedient to what the Lord and the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. That's it. And here's this woman now, Lydia. Out of the other women that are sitting there, it's Lydia who were told that the Lord had opened her heart to heed the things that were spoken by God. The Bible says this in Corinthians, if the gospel is hidden, you know what it means to be hidden? If the gospel is hidden, it is hidden to those who were lost who the God of this world has blinded their eyes from the glorious truth. If the gospel's hidden, the gospel wasn't hidden to Lydia right now. Her heart had already been prepared and opened by the Lord to heed the things that Paul was going to speak to her. That's what I call a divine appointment. It's kind of like Axel that came into our men's Bible study with a brand new Bible and admittingly did not know the Lord. And then we baptized him last Sunday. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then, and when she and her household, I love this, when she and her household were baptized, not only affected Lydia, but she went home, ran home, and told everybody at home, and all of a sudden the whole household's getting saved, and they're all getting baptized. Look how immediately how this stuff's happening. It's like, like oh yeah, we got a baptism next year. Immediately, I mean, they're here they are. What hinders me from being baptized? Day of Pentecost, 3,000 of them all down in the water, following the Lord now. Now go out and be witnesses for Jesus Christ. You see how it works? I mean, it's not like, hey, come to church for a year and go through 10 evangelism classes before you can share your faith. You know what I mean? The Lord's equipped you already. We're only here right now just to, we're talking about it. It's not like you don't know the things that I'm even sharing with you now. But it takes boldness, it takes faith and boldness on our part, reliance on the Holy Spirit, stirring of our hearts with that passion for him and our love for him to compel us to go out and do something for the Lord, to open our mouth for him. Her whole household was baptized. She, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. I mean, they didn't want him to leave. I mean, you know, sit with us, tell us some things, you know, spend some time here. They were thrilled. They were thrilled. I 
had a brother on Wednesday night when I gave people opportunity to pray to receive, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit to pray for them. I had a few people. This one brother said to me, he goes, I want to I want to pray to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But he goes, I also want to just tell you, I am so excited about my new faith in Jesus Christ. He goes, I feel like I'm bubbling over right now. That's what I, I was going, whoa, okay. That's what we want. Bubbling over. He's brand new in his faith. I, he's like, you know, I can't contain it. And he had this joy on his face. That's what we want. That's what will compel us. When you go on this missions trip, you better be preparing your own heart. Don't wait until you, you know, get roll into Honduras. Prepare your heart now. Get ready for what God is going to do when you arrive. And if there's areas of, of that you need to sort out with the Lord, get those things right. I encourage you to come out on a Saturday here, especially this Honduras team. Come out here and spend some uh, couple hours with, with Darren and James here and look for an opportunity to be used of the Lord in that setting. And beyond that, just every day, just say, Lord, get up every day, and I'll do the same with you. Get up every day and say, Lord, would you open up a door of opportunity for me today? I want you to do that every day until you leave to Honduras. Would you give me an opportunity today to open my mouth for you? Would you give me a divine appointment? Would you give me a Lydia? Would you give me a lame man at the gate? Would you give me, you know, whatever it is, just give me something, Lord, and let me hear your voice. Let me hear your Holy Spirit lead me in opening my mouth to be bold. You know where boldness comes from? It's the number one prayer. I know this from praying hundreds and hundreds of times before we'd go out witnessing. Number one prayer that anyone would ever pray. God, would you give us boldness that when we go out tonight that we would open our mouth in boldness for you? It's like the number one prayer. Why is that the number one prayer? Because we know in ourselves we can't do this. I'm afraid of this. I don't know what to say. I don't. But God, I need your boldness. So, well, where does that boldness come from? It doesn't come from the fact. Well, hey, I'm a salesman, man. I could talk to anybody. That's not the kind of boldness that we're talking about. You could be the most meek, mild, introverted person, and when the Holy Spirit engages in your heart in that moment, I've seen it so many times with people that are that are like that that all of a sudden I couldn't shut them up that's just oh wow that's the Lord and that's what you want to be able to experience boldness comes from knowing the word of God knowing the gospel message that's what we're going to talk about next week next week today I just wanted to focus on just preparing our hearts for evangelism next week I want to talk about communication skills I want to talk about communicating the truths of the gospel. How do we talk about sin? How do we talk about repentance? How do we communicate these truths so that when the person that you're talking to is going, okay, I get it. I understand. And that's what's important. We need to be communicators, good communicators of the truth. Not just knowing all the Christian language, but the person you're talking to is going, I don't know what you're talking about. How do you communicate, and do they get it when you're done? Are they getting it? And so, Father, I thank you for this time. 
I thank you for those that you have brought, uh, Lord, here today. Lord, I pray for each one of us, Lord, as we leave here today, Lord, that you would give us opportunity, wherever that might be, that we just be led of your Holy Spirit, empowered with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would go before us this week and, and uh, Lord, help us to take on that that mindset, that, that evangelism lifestyle, Lord. Let us look for opportunities that might break the ice, that might open a door, that might give us those Holy Spirit one-liners, that might just open the, the doorway that we're able to share our faith and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that it's a work of your Holy Spirit, and so we pray even now, Lord, that you would pour out your Spirit upon us afresh, each one of us here right now. We need your Holy Spirit in full measure, Lord, to be able to be an effective witness for you. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, go before us now. Let that joy, let that love of Jesus Christ flow out of our lives onto other people, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.